raise your hand during the uh, welcome. Uh, you can always text HBF guests at 94,000. And if you're online, you can do that as well. Just text HBF guest to the number 94,000, 94000, and uh, we will connect with you uh, discreetly. But there's also a gift. So there's a payoff if you do that. And so uh, even here at HBF, if you would like uh, that gift, you go to the connections counter. And if you're a first time guest, that is. And they got a special guest for you there, gift for you there at the Connections counter. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you and be turning to page 1,632. That's where we're going to be this morning in 1 John. And I pray that you're having a good morning. I'm going to just jump right into this. Uh, there's been a lot going on in our community, in our country, in our lives. Everyone's busy, but I hope we can focus here for the next uh, few minutes and just really get our hearts and heads around what's going on in 1 John chapter 3. And before we jump into the text in 1 John 3, I, I want to just remind you of what we saw many, many weeks ago in 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John 2 and verse 28, there at the end of chapter 2, as, before, as we're heading into chapter 3, John said this. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I would submit to you that the coming of the Lord is nearer than when we believed, and uh, it's getting closer every day. And if you can't see that, uh, you really haven't been looking at the Word of God. God's Word is very clear about that. He also goes on to say, if you know, if, uh, you know that He is righteous, uh, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Now, this is important because as we jump off into chapter 3, that's what he talks about is the new birth. Uh, the coming of the Lord coupled with the new birth and those that are born of him, and he pronounces and declares, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And we've already talked a great length about that. But what, what I see, what I want to see this morning is really uh, what's instrumental is that uh, what we have here in chapter 2 really sets us up for what we're going to see in chapter 3 because we want to be ready for the Lord at his coming. So by way of review... Um, we've already covered uh, verses 1 and 2 a couple times over, and we've looked at the relationship as a son of God and also our relationship with the world last week. This morning, we're going to look at our relationship uh, uh, to sin. And if you have your text, let's look at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll break this out for you. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. So there's that distinction between us and the world. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now these two verses have done a lot, and we've already looked at it a lot here, but these inform us about what we're about to see in verses 3 through 9 this morning. So keeping that in mind, let's continue on. He says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous." He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, 
that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Heavenly Father, thank, thank you so much for your son Jesus. Thank you for the gift of eternal life and, and what it really means to be born again by the Spirit of God. Lord, it, it keeps us from sin. Lord, we are now set apart. We're sealed. We're sanctified. Uh, and Lord, we look forward to that day when we're glorified. As we just looked at First uh, John chapter 2, and verse 28, Lord, we need to be looking forward to that day. We don't know if it's today or tomorrow, but we know, Lord, that your coming is nigh. And because of our birthright, we need to be prepared. Lord, we need to be living as it is in truth, the, the very sons of God, Lord, the lights that shine in this dark world. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that the things that we look at this morning in this text, as we consider uh, what it is to have a relationship with you and yet be surrounded by sin, Lord, that we would really be able to come away with some practical things today that will help us with our walk with you, that will prepare us for your coming and prepare others to follow. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3 is where we're going to just kind of jump off this morning with the big old word and, right? And. And so, and every man that hath this hope in him purified himself as he is pure. So you will, you'll notice here in 1 John 3, 3, it begins with this conjuncture, right? And, and us old folks had Schoolhouse Rock. If you aren't up to speed with Schoolhouse Rock, you need to be. That's right. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? That's right. So we know that this hooks us up with phrases, clauses, and sentences. And the sentence before is connected to uh, the sentence that we see in verse 3. So there are two major points that we're going to see in our text when we break this out. There's two conjunctions. There's one in verse 3 and there's one in verse uh, verse 5. And so verse 3 is obviously pointing out um, that now, like uh, right now, right, we are the sons of God. He says that in verse 2, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he's pure. So understanding that right now, uh, and we kind of left off on this last week, that we are the sons of God, that means then, because of that, we should be pure as we are pure, right? We should be, uh, prog- you know, progressively sanctifying uh, toward that that goal of what we will eventually be when we get to heaven. Uh, and so the declaration that we are now the sons of God comes with an expectation, right? So it's one thing to kind of hang on the rim on verses 1 and 2 and think about, man, I'm a son of God. I got all an inheritance. I got this and that. But when you get to verse 3, that conjunction helps us remember, oh, there's an expectation uh, that comes with the declaration, right? John isn't just wasting an error to say, oh, yeah, you're sons of God. Now that you understand that, let's make sure that we purify ourselves even as we are pure. So John was revealing the love of the Father, but the and in 1 John 3, 3 connects us to what that means to our purity uh, positionally and practically, as well as the power by which we represent the kingdom of God as the sons of God, because that's a title. Being a child of God, being a son of God in particular, is a title, and we've already covered that in quite a bit of detail. So the second conjunction that we saw there in verse 5 is reminding us of what we know about the manifestation of Jesus to take away our sins. And this is important because sin and sins and sinneth is mentioned ten times in seven verses between 1 John 3 uh, three and verse 1 John 3, 9. And all mentions of sin, sins, and sinneth in this third chapter are found in the verses that we just read. There's a lot to, it's just like compacted right there right there in this little space that we just read over. 
particularly in verses 4 through 9. So John is wanting to remind us that our position as sons of God impacts our purity, right? As I've already mentioned, positionally, and I'll explain that in a moment, practically, I think we all can get our head around what that means. We need to be pure as we are pure, as John's already said. But also, what's the power in that? How's that going to impact eternity? How is our sanctification, our purification, actually working its way out now to change um, the hearts of other people? And so we'll end up on that at the end. But this morning in point A, if you're looking at your outline, the thing we got to do is to behold our relationship with sin properly, right? Because this is all compacted about in this section of 1 John. So to, be, to behold our relationship with sin properly, we must understand John's declaration in 1 John 3, 1 through 2 needs explanation, right? There's an explanation that he is giving to what he's already told us about being sons of God. And what is that? Well, let me, he's explaining the fact that because we are sons of God, we need to be pure as we're pure. I mean, we don't have to take it any further than what he said. So what's that, what's that really mean? If you get messed up on this, you're going to have some problems in your Christian walk. So this is important. And so point one, we have, we have new expectations of sanctification because we're purified from sin. That's really what, that's what our expectation should be. We have an expectation that, that, that of our sanctification, which means being set apart, because we're purified from sin. Now that John has declared the, the manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us, now he wants us to know that it should make an impact on our personal knowledge of holiness. And it's worth noting that the word sanctified does not occur in the book of 1 John, by the way. I'm going to use sanctified. There's two words I'm going to use a lot to, to summarize, really, the word pure that he's using there, which means cleanse or water as you look it up through the Bible. But at any rate, it, it's going to be holiness and it's going to be sanctification. Holiness and sanctification, those go hand in hand with this purity that he's talking about. And so... Uh, and so this is the subject matter, matter of the text this morning. And in relation to our new birth, we've been, we've been born again. We are now clean because we have a new birth. So we, we could describe the, the knowledge of our purity as uh, positional holiness. And uh, positional holiness, that sounds like a fancy word, but it's kind of a good way to describe our holiness in regard to how God the Father sees us. Positional holiness uh, or positional sanctification, both of those terms could be used interchangeably, doesn't rest in what we do, but in what Jesus did, and how his holiness is imputed to us at salvation. Right? So we get saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. Right? It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So when we get saved, God gives us the gift of eternal life. Obviously, that's what the Bible says. But with that, his righteousness is imputed to us. He, we are right because, well, he's right. He is, his, his righteousness has been imputed to us just as our sin was imputed to him, right? When he was on the cross, he became our sacrifice for sin. So we're made righteousness by his righteousness. Jesus is the righteousness of God. So when the Father looks at us, what's he see? He sees the righteousness of his Son. That's a wonderful, that's why it's a gift. You can't earn that. It's given to us when we get saved. We comprehend the gospel. So we will speak about practical holiness in, in, in a moment, and that's what a lot of us kind of focus on. But before you jump to that and uh, want to clean yourself up, uh, you need to really understand that before God, you're already viewed as clean. And, and that's really important to your walk with the Lord and my walk with the Lord. And so Paul addresses the Christian um, uh, that compromises the church. I'm sorry, that comprises. I need my glasses. Uh, Paul addresses the Christians that com comprise the church as saints 
And those that are saints, but the word really means sanctified, they're set apart. And that is not based on their merit, but on the grace given to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I threw a couple of verses in there, and you can look at them. They may be on the screen. And by the way, if you didn't get a handout, I think they got them all handed out. So, um, yeah, I should have paused at the beginning and had those guys go around, so I apologize. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified... Right, set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, uh, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, there's a lot in this. So Paul's introduction to the Corinthians is an incredible, incredible example, actually. If you know anything about the New Testament, it's a great example of what I'm talking about, positional holiness. And I know that sounds a little boring, but this is what's going on here. And you're going to be glad for this if you think about it. Because Paul is writing to this church, and, and uh, is this the best church you could ever find in, uh, in Europe? No. They're pretty carnal. As a matter of fact, there's some things going on there that, I mean, even the world's like, whew, that smells, man. You guys are, you're, you're rotten. And so, I mean, this is a pretty messed up church. They got authority issues, they got sin issues, they got all kinds of issues. They got, they got problems. But, in the first nine verses, you would not know that. As Paul, I just read the introduction. He's like, hey, man, you guys are sanctified, you're saints, you're called to be saints. And up through the first nine verses, if you didn't read the rest of the letter, you would think, man, these people are, they're everything. I mean, they're just, they got it together. Well, they do positionally, right? Positionally, Paul is addressing them as they are in Christ. They are sanctified. Later on, he will, I'll get to that in just a moment, but later on in that text, he'll address that with them in in 1 Corinthians and I'll touch on that in just a minute, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Paul addresses, he addresses this point by point. And then in verse 10 through uh, chapter 14, then he just lets, in, uh, on, lets, lets it go, right? He lets the fur fly, and he just starts telling them, man, you guys are carnal. Uh, you're babes in Christ, and not in a good sense. Some of you ought to know better. You ought to be having meat. And, I mean, he just, he, instead of this milk and and you guys are, uh, you know, you're at each other's throat, and there's not brotherly love, there's not brotherly kindness, you're messed up on gifts, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he just goes through it all the way through chapter 14, and then he finally gets to the resurrection and gets their minds focused back on things above and where they're going. And so he kind of starts where they are positionally and then takes them to where they're going to go in glorification. And that's, that's a good outline because you see that pattern all the way through the New Testament. It's starts with salvation, right? And then there's this process we call sanctification. Positionally, we're already sanctified. But practically, right, the Corinthians had to work out in this life practically what was positionally true. And the reason that we got to do that, I've already given you, I'm like John this morning, I'm going to keep cycling through these things until we get it, is because someday we're going to appear before the Lord and we need to be ready. We need to be ready to appear before the Lord. That's 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. There's a reason that sanctification is a big deal. Not just positionally, but practically. And so in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, the Bible says, By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So our, we as a body of Christ, as Christians, we're sanctified by that one sacrifice. Jesus Christ doesn't die perpetually for our sins. It's not a progressive sanctification. There are there's in this town and, and all over the world... Uh, there are, are, are groups that are, quote, Christian, that believe in this progressive type of sanctification. They don't mean the same thing. 
They mean you are always earning God's grace. And that's an oxymoron. You can't earn God's grace. You either have it or you don't. You can't earn salvation. You either have it or you don't. You are either born or you're not born. You're either in Christ or you're not. And so some would say, well, there's a little divine flame in your heart, and you just got to fan the flames, fan the flames. You know, in church history, uh, there's some, been some mighty men of God that were very religious, that had lots of Bible memorized. And, uh, you know, I think of the Wesley brothers, John and Charles, right? Those were a couple dudes that, man, they tried harder than anybody. And their buddy, George Woodfield, was right there with them. And he finally gave up on it. <laughs> and he got saved. And he trusted Christ. And the power of God rested upon him. There was a difference between having a religion and fanning that flame trying to hope that their works would, would earn favor with God and they could be sanctified. And it was just like, it's like beating your head against the wall. You can never reform yourself. You have to be transformed from the inside out. But once all three of those men ended up getting saved eventually, uh, George Whitfield was the first, and uh, he, he, turned this, the, he turned the colonies upside down by his preaching. If you don't know about him, uh, he was quite a preacher. He was a preacher of preachers. And uh, man, he just, he rocked it by grace through faith. And then after that, the Wesley brothers got saved. And then, then they ended up, um, you know, having a prolific ministry. The point is simply this. You, you, can't, you can't fan the flames of sanctification to get saved. You get, it when you, get, when you get it in Christ when you get saved. First Corinthians, or Hebrews, I'm sorry, verse 10, chapter 10 and verse 14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. One offering. His offering has perfected us forever. Positionally, you're as good as, 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 as you can get. You're set apart. In Romans 1, Paul offers a similar introduction to the saints there. He says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, right, set apart, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Paul writes to the, the carnal Corinthians and reminds them that they are no longer uh, identified as unrighteous sinners, though many were very carnal, and they didn't look like they were sanctified. They didn't act like they were sanctified. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Well, that, that describes a lot of people in our culture. Um, and in our church, I'm sure. So... He goes on to say, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And that, if it just stopped there, we'd, we'd be in trouble. And then he says this in verse 11. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So here he says, you are set apart. You are washed. You are justified. You are, this is who you are. So basically, he's implying, quit acting like that's not, you have an identity problem. And of course, we understand in the world today, a lot of people have identity problems. But the place there should be no identity problem is in the church of the living God. Our only identity should be in Christ. And it should not be so confusing for us. So we live in a perverse culture today where men want to identify as women, and women want to identify as men, but we, are, we expect the world to do that. That's what the world does. They don't have identity in Christ, so they don't know who to identify with. But the reality is, in the church, man, there's some that want to identify with the world. And that's why Paul had to write his book to the Corinthians, because he was saying, look, guys, quit identifying with the world, because that is not who you are. 
right? Uh, I, 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 I am who God made me to be. You are who God made you to be. But in Christ, you're a new creature. You can go back and try to be the old person. And some of us have tried that. It doesn't work very good. I don't want to go back. I don't know about y'all. But even if I did, I can't really go back. I can go back, I can, I can go back and act like I'm lost. But at the end of the day, I'm not. I'm a new, I'm sanctified. I am set apart positionally. I'm going to heaven, whether I like it or not. And, uh, and I really like it, so thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but uh, but I, I am positionally already, I'm set, I'm seated, I'm sitting in heavenly places in Christ. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, what shall we say then? I mean, oh, it's easy street, brother. I mean, oh, you're one of those Baptists that believe once saved, always saved. Yeah, I am. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I do believe that. Well, then you can just do whatever you want. You can, but you shouldn't. And you will be chastened. And you will lose your inheritance. So there's always things at stake. Disobedience is a problem. But for those that might say, well, hey, man, I'm set. I can just do what I want to do. Well, don't forget what Paul said in Romans 6. He says, what, uh, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, hey, man, just do what you want to do. I mean, God's got it covered in grace. God forbid, Paul says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you're really born again, you are dead to sin. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life for if we have been uh, uh, planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, right, this is what we know, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve him, or sin, or him, uh, serve sin, which is this body, it's what he's referring to. For he uh, that is dead is freed from sin. So what he's really saying is that we, we are free from our, we do not have to obey our flesh, but we choose to. And we shouldn't say grace unto it. We should say, God forbid, right? Uh, no, God forbid. Why? Because we don't have to serve our flesh. We choose to. And that's a, that's a truth of the scripture. When we get up uh, in the baptism tank on a Sunday morning, today was going to be baptisms. We didn't have any. So we need to get out and lead people to Christ so we can keep that tank going. Um, but uh, when we get up, when we get up here and we baptize somebody, that's not the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's just a picture of what happened. When you got saved, life entered you. The Holy Ghost comes in you, and you are in Him, and He is literally in you via the Holy Ghost. And I, I mean, you have life in you. You're possessed by Jesus. You didn't have to. I mean, your DNA is going to change. So this is why John's declaration about our salvation and our new birth needed some explanation. There's a lot here, and I'm not going to be able to unpack all of it this morning, but, but I'm trying to touch on it. So you will not identify uh, <clears throat> with that you don't understand or know. And it really is important to start here. And I can tell you this from personal experience. Uh, you really have to get your head around this. You, you cannot identify with Jesus in baptism until you have heard and received the gospel. People perish for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 5 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. And so I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, and I will also forget thy children. You know, there are consequences to disobedience. 
in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they, they, had, they paid the price for not being sanctified. For not, hey, did they lose their promise? No, God's still in the coming uh, Daniel 70th week in the tribulation. God's still going to re- redeem that nation, but they've gone through a lot of anguish to get there, and a lot of their people have died and went to hell in the process. There are consequences. There's consequences to obedience and disobedience and taking God's word seriously. Third point, understanding positional holiness brings hope to the heart of the Son of God. So the promise is what John mentions in 1 John 3, 2. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Man, what a glorious hope that is. For uh, Romans eight twenty nine says, for, we, uh, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did uh, predestinate, them also he called, and to whom he called, he also justified, and to whom he justified, them he also glorified. So notice here that Paul is speaking not of sovereign grace and predestination in the sense of a Calvinist uh, explanation. This is a reality for all who call upon the name of the Lord. Once you get saved, once you're in Christ, he has all of this set forth for you. He is predestined that you will be conformed to the image of Christ. All the prophecies that we see about the catching away of the church, what does it talk about? Our translation, right? Our, our change from this life into the, into the eternity. We get a new body. It's incredible. We are changed on the outside, just like we've already been changed on the inside. It's all about a transformation that occurs at the catching away. It's going to be an incredible thing. But that should be manifest today in our personal walk. And so once you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Paul speaks of our justification and our glorification as if it's already occurred because it's already been predetermined that we will be changed into his image. And this is perfectly congruent with what, what, we, what we understand concerning the mystery of the catching away of the church, commonly called the rapture. We know right now that we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's what the mystery reveals in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two. if you go look it up. We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, right? At the last trump, we'll, we, will, we have this advanced revelation. Like we already know in advance what's going to happen. Why? Because it's been predetermined, been predestined. What's going to happen to those who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? So in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, uh, there's some things there that he's, he's telling us regarding who we are as sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when, when he will appear, let me reread this so I don't butcher it. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, this is going to happen, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be changed, just like the Bible teaches us all through the New Testament. Now, Ephesians 2, a very familiar passage to most of us, says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, worth he, he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. He's brought us to life. And <clears throat> he says, By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, wait a minute. I'm standing here at HBF. I'm on the planet Earth. But this passage says I'm, I'm already seated together in heavenly places. How can that be if I'm here? Anybody got a clue? Well, it gets back to that whole issue of imputed righteousness, right? Jesus Christ has imputed his righteousness in me. Literally, the Spirit of God is in me. And so guess what? It's as if I'm seated at the right hand of the Father because I'm. when we say you're in Christ, you are in Christ. When the Father looks at the Son... 
he sees righteousness. When he looks at me, he sees the sun. He sees the righteousness. We're seated in heavenly places, and someday we literally will be in the third heaven once we get this transformation. Are you guys tracking with me? This is kind of heavy stuff to meditate on, and it takes you some time to get your head around it, but it does change the way you look at practical sanctification as well. So, so, so we're sitting here today on the earth, but God, uh, God is sitting on the throne in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. So how are we sitting here in heavenly places while we're on earth? Well, uh, we are as good as seated in heaven because Christ, who is our life, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and our life is hid in him. Hallelujah. He's our advocate, and he's our propitiation before the throne of God, as, as John already set forth in chapter 2. So when, uh, when we get our mind around this positional uh, application, it helps us work out our sanctification and holiness in a practical way. And I can still, and this is, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight on this in my own life. I remember literally sitting, sitting in a, and I've told this story before because it's so, it was such a big deal to me. I was somewhere in my 20s, and uh, I was zealous for Jesus. And uh, I was sitting at the back of the City Union Mission Chapel. And uh, it's somewhere in the 90s, probably somewhere between 94 to 98. I don't remember the day. But uh, I'm sitting in the back of the chapel, and I'm just eaten up with my own sin. Anybody ever been there? And, uh, and so, and I don't remember today, I was thinking about this today, I'm like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I know it had to do with my thought life. That's, and, and so I kind of got a general idea what it was. I'm not exactly remembering what it was, but I was swallowed up with guilt. And I was sitting in the back just kind of like, oh man, how can I be serving Jesus and be like this? I'm such a wretch, I hate myself. And, I mean, just full of self-loathing. And uh, I don't know if anyone's ever been there, but... Uh, but probably, if you're in Christ, you, you struggle with this. Because in our flesh, Paul says, well, no good thing. And then Randy Foster gets up, and he's working uh, with us at the mission. And he gets up, and he preaches this message. And he gets to preach, and he, run, he runs across 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, verses 9 through 11. And when I heard him say, and such were some of you, right? But ye are, and he rolls through that, you are sanctified you are or you are washed you are sanctified you are justified in the name of our lord jesus christ and the spirit of our god i mean i can remember like yes god just was just spoke to my heart big time and i was like i'm like in the corner right yeah you know, i'm just back there beating myself up boom boom and he's like brian believe the bible it's not about you it's about what i've done in you are you going to take 1 John 1, 9 and apply it or not? You've been preaching this stuff all, you know, I've been preaching this stuff. I, I know what the Bible says, but I'm not applying it. You see, this is why I started here. Because unless you really get the knowledge of, of your positional sanctification, you're going to have a hard time applying it practically. You're not going to avail yourself of the grace that you need day to day unless you understand the grace that you have for all of eternity. And so you got you kind of got to work this stuff out in your heart. You are a new creature in Christ. Now, the devil's going to tell you you're not. You've got to make a decision. Are you going to believe God's word, or are you going to just sit there and wallow in the mire? And man, I tell you, that was a moment of just incredible uh, faith, and, and, uh, and uh, for me, relief. Believing that the, what the scripture says about us is the first step to purifying ourselves, even as we are pure. Let me move to this second point. To behold our relationship with sin properly, we must understand John's declaration in 1 John 3, 1 through 2 has an 
expectation, right? So we've seen that it needs an explanation, and we've done a little bit of that, talking a little bit of theology uh, this morning. So it needs this biblical explanation about positional sanctification, but it also need, there's an expectation. The reason that John is writing this is he's like, hey, you need to do something, right? There is an actual uh, practical use to this thing is you've got to make a decision that you are going to be sanctified uh, practically as you are positionally, right? So there is an expectation by John that those who are sons of God will behave as such, Right? That this is this is what this is what Paul was writing to the Corinthians about. He's like, guys, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. So act like it. <laughs> Believe what the Bible says. Let go of sin. Acknowledge that you got a problem in your heart. Get it right with God and start living right. Because you can. That's one of the most frustrating things about being a pastor is is sometimes people don't really understand or believe the power that's in them. I mean, we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so he's like, hey, man. Uh, behave like you ought to behave. That's why he says, every man that hath this hope in him purify himself even as he is pure. So the Spirit of God in us is... Okay, check this out. This is really heavy. The Spirit of God in us is called the Holy Spirit, right? Also called the Holy Ghost, right? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Who's in it? Holiness. Holy, 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 holy. Right? That's who lives in you. He is holy. He's inhabiting your carcass. Holiness is who is bound to your soul. I mean, that's incredible. The power of God in us to be holy. Well, the definition of holiness is in your body. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the Spirit of God in us is holy, so therefore we should be holy. So let me drop another verse on you. And so... 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he which is called hath called you is holy. He thought I was just making this stuff up. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And we know uh, the King James gang, when they use that word conversation, what are they talking about? That's right, the walk, the lifestyle. They're not just talking about our verbal uh, discussions. They're talking about our lifestyle. right? As he is holy, so we should be holy. So what's that mean? We should walk out. We should walk it like Jesus, right? So if you're strutting your stuff like this, that's probably not how Jesus was walking, right? So you've got to moderate that walk. Bring it down to where Jesus was at, right? Make it humble and uh, make it like Jesus. If you're walking around like this, that ain't Jesus either, right? Get where Jesus is at and walk like Christ. Be holy as he's holy, right? Walk it out. Walk in the Spirit. The Spirit is holy. All right, I think you get the picture. So Peter, is, he's quoting from the Old Testament here, and this passage is found in Leviticus 20 and verse 7. Now, in Leviticus 20 and verse 7, this is what the Lord says. He says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am holy, or I'm sorry, I am the Lord your God. So here Moses is writing to the Levitical priests, and uh, Peter was writing to kings and priests, because uh, we're called kings and priests, Revelation 1.6, Revelation 5.10. So the idea is that we practice what, <clears throat> what physic, uh, practice physically what we have become spiritually and that is holy and i can tell you right off the bat we're are we all going to fail that's we are we're going to struggle that's why we have first john 1 9 but we ought to be practicing it right so some definition uh, may help us here so sanctified uh, simply means to be set apart the sanctuary is a place uh, that's set apart for for worship right that's what the sanctuary is for holy means hallowed the hallowed ground that joshua stood upon 
uh, when the Lord appeared to him, was hallowed ground. It was holy because the Holy One of Israel, the captain of the Lord's host, stood there. And so we should practice holiness uh, because we are sanctified. We are set apart for God's use. God has set you and I apart, very, very literally, for his use. So like, uh, like, this, like, well, here, here's a bottle. I got this thing set apart. You know what this thing's set apart for? It's, it's set apart for my drinking water, right? If you come and drop dirt in here, it just messed it up. I don't want to drink it anymore. So God has set this bottle apart for me so I could drink some water. I could use a, a drink. And so, and so, you know what? God uses things that are set apart for him. And he sets us apart. He sanctifies us. He hallows, uh, he hallows us so that we can be uh, his habitation, so he can use us in this dark world. So we should practice holiness because we are sanctified, because we are set apart for God's use. So practically speaking, this is why ministry often challenges us. And I say us. I'm right here with you. The more committed you are to serving our Lord, the greater the Lord challenges you on personal holiness. Have you noticed that? It's not, it's not the task often that is, is so intimidating. It's the holiness factor. I mean, when you enter into doing ministry, you, you kind of intuitively should understand that, well, there's a certain holiness factor, right, that, that, that accompanies that. And I'm not talking about an external set of standards here. I'm talking about an internal set of standards that we find from the Word of God. I know a pastor friend of mine, born and raised Roman Catholic, you know, being Roman Catholic, he had no conviction about drinking alcohol. And, uh, and so he's now born again, and he's serving the ministry, and, and he's, he gets it, and he goes, I'm just doing something in moderation. And so he keeps some alcohol in his fridge all the time, because that's how he rolls. And, uh, and I'm not saying that to cause a fight. This is just this is his testimony, not mine or yours. So, um, and so he's a junior high. Now he's a junior high minister, and uh, he's having kids over in the house. And he opens up the fridge in view of the kids, and guess what's there? It's this alcohol. All of a sudden, without anyone saying, it, he's convicted. He's like, "Ooh, I really shouldn't. I shouldn't. I need to. This isn't good. Uh, why? Because he's wanting to be holy." He's wanting to be set apart. He's wanting to be used of God. He knows this could cause someone else to stumble. And so he, he sanctified him. He set that apart. He says, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. And, uh, and, and so it wasn't a matter of was it lawful. It was a matter. This is what the issue was. Was it expedient? Was it going to help the kingdom of God go forward? So he was willing to let go of something that didn't really offend his conscience because he was afraid it would offend someone else's conscience. He was becoming more and more like Christ. You see, Jesus set his own life apart so that we could live. He didn't want to see anybody die spiritually because of, of that. Now, that's his testimony, and I, I just I remember that. It's a good testimony. And, and um, he was concerned about what was going to benefit the gospel and the ministry of the church. It was, it was not having alcohol in view of junior high kids. He got rid of it and never picked it up again. What was that in his life, in his testimony? It was just another step in his practical or personal sanctification. He was just setting himself apart. He's like, you know what? This could hinder me as a minister. You know, I came, and this is, I'll give you one of my examples. One time I rolled into Bible study when we first started the churches over in the Christian school, and I had a pair of shorts on. And I'm teaching the Bible study, and this guy comes in. He's a chiropractor in town. And afterward, he kind of gives me the what for about, you know, dude, you're going to the lake today, blah, blah, blah. And he never came back again. He's a little tightly wound about that. But you know what? 
I don't have any conviction. I could wear, t- I could wear shorts today. I don't, it wouldn't bother me at all. I, wear, I love wearing shorts. It it's no big deal for me. But you know what? I don't think you've seen me on a Wednesday night Bible study wear shorts. Again. Now, I'm not going to bend over backwards for everybody's whims, right? But my point, I thought, you know what? At the end of the day, it, who cares? I can wear some pants. If that's going to be a stumbling block for some dude, then I'll wear, I don't want to look at my hairy legs either. All right, so, so uh, <laughs> I'll put on some pants, man. I mean, now, we're not even talking about sin. We're just talking about, that wasn't, I, I realized, you know, it wasn't expedient. In this culture, evidently down here, the people don't view the pastor as needing to wear shorts on the pulpit on Wednesday night. And I think that was a good man. He's a good Christian man. That's also one of the, I don't think he was a sinful fellow. I think he was a good man, and is a good man. I don't know where he is now, but I don't, I had no, it wasn't just like he was coming in to give me the business. I think he was hungry for God's word. He was looking for a church that taught and preached God's word. So I became a stumbling block to that. And I was like, hallelujah. Someone's phone's on. Okay, we're good. Uh, so I was, like, uh, I was like, man, I can't do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put away my, uh, the tire that I may prefer on a 90-degree day uh, for, for pants on Wednesday night. Because it's just not worth, it's just, I'll just sanctify myself and set myself apart. And so that's, that's just practically how that kind of stuff works out. I'm not deeply convicted about wearing shorts or what you wear on Wednesday. I just, that's just what I do now, right? Because it's, just, it's the thing that, that I think would please the Lord under the circumstances. So just a, a few weeks ago, this is, a, this is really where the rubber meets the road. Amy and I are sitting around. Uh, we, we haven't watched Friends in years. And we're sitting around watching Friends. You know, some of you probably know what it is, but it's an old sitcom. And we're watching it, and I'm, I'm laughing. I mean, Joey's funny, and uh, and we're laughing, and we're going through this, and then, I don't know, an episode or two into it, I don't remember, but I remember looking at you, Amy, and I look at her, and I'm like, you know, you remember why we quit watching this in the 90s the first time around? And we start remembering, and like, oh, yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of stuff on there that I just, I can't laugh, I'm not, I shouldn't be laughing with, it's, it's just, it's perverse, it's jacked up, and it messes with my, with my own conscience. And I'm like, what am I doing sitting here laughing at this? This isn't funny. I know people that are caught up in sin. I, I see so many train wrecks. Uh, this isn't funny. I don't think adultery is funny. I don't think fornication is funny. I don't think homosexuality is funny. And so, oh, now you're getting all Baptist. He told her, no, that's just who I am in Christ. Because it's a real deal when it comes to your front door. And so, you know, I'm sitting there watching that thing, and I'm like, you know what, Aim? I now remember why we quit watching this. So we quit watching it. We haven't watched it since, you know. And so, so those are things that just in your own personal practice. Now, I don't care what you do at your house. Uh, it's just something for me. I'm like, you know what? I just, I just can't do that. Uh, my kids don't need to see me sitting around laughing at a bunch of, a bunch of you know, kind of sour stuff there. So, so it's just not entertaining. It's getting quiet in here. And so... Here's how Paul would put it, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. I've already referred to it. All things are lawful unto me. All things are lawful unto me. I, man, positionally, I'm set. But all things are not expedient. Right? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So Paul says, it, says you know, this is, what, this is what's going on. You don't want to be um, in a situation with practical holiness that messes up what God's will is. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not 
but all but all things edify not. So when it comes to personal and practical holiness or sanctification, point two, there are three important things that you need to keep in mind. First, will this glorify God? Who are we really try? Who is God going to be happy with this? Is it make God? Is this? Is some? Can God smile on it? Can God smile on it? Number two, and this isn't in your notes, so you'll have to fill these in if you're getting them. Will this build others? or aid uh, in them being brought into the, the, uh, the bondage of sin, right? Are you freeing people, or are you binding people? Our job is to free people, not bind them. Uh, the third thing, which are, these are found in this, these two passages I quoted from Paul, is, will this bring me into bondage of sin myself, right? Put your, is, this, is this thing that I'm participating in going to put me in bondage? Is my flesh, am I giving my flesh an opportunity here to bind me down? Right, and so those three things: is this going to give God glory? Is this going to is this going to help others? Is this going to edify others? Is this going to build other people? Is this going to free other people, or is this going to bind other people? Right? Am I going to if I wear my shorts, am I going to run someone off? You know. Uh, and then the last thing is, you know, really, well, what's it going to do to me? There's some things that we allow that maybe we shouldn't because uh, maybe someone else can handle it, but I can't. You know, well, then praise God, let them have their liberty, but we need to make sure we set ourselves apart so we're usable to the Lord. So John gives us a clear and concise definition of sin in verse 4. He says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. He will also follow this definition with another simple definition in 1 John 5 and verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. So I gave you a chart there. We're not going to go over it, but you can look at that for your own reference. There's these six really simple definitions of sin, and, uh, and uh, I, I, I found four types from the Old Testament that really typify all of those, but it's very simple, you know, uh, the, the, a proud look, right? Satan had a, pl- a proud look, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. Man, that one really, I'll tell you, that really helped me out. Uh, I was in, I was in, uh, in shepherd school, and uh, we were talking about liberty, and how free we are, and all of this, and I remember Brian Clark was in that class, and we were having quite a, a, a robust discussion, and I'm kind of sitting there with biting my tongue, because the position is, you're free, you're completely free in Christ, you can do whatever you want, and I'm like, well, you can't do whatever you want, but you kind of can, right, so, so anyway, there's consequences to doing what you want, so, you got to see what's lawful and what's expedient. So I go up to Alan Shelby, and I said, Alan, and I, I waited till the end. I was respectful, and I'm like, Alan, I'm not arguing with you here, but and I gave him Proverbs 24, 9. The Bible tells us the thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to man. I mean, it is sinful to think. You can't just think whatever you want. And man, this helped me, and this will help you too in practical sanctification. Because that's what, that's what I was concerned about was my own thought life. I can't just sit around and think. I knew this. this was, you can say what you want about freedom, but if I just let my mind go, I'm in trouble. And I would say, I'd say most of us are that way. And so you know what Alan said in his great wisdom? And I'm glad he said this because it helped me. He said, uh, he said uh, the thought of foolishness is sin, but it's not judged until you do it. And I was like, ah. Oh. Judge yourself, lest you be judged. So that's the place to capture it. 
right? If you're having thought problems, capture it in the mind before it makes its way out. You can't meditate on it. You're going to become what you think about, right? And so if it's entering your thought, that is the time to judge it, not after you've done it, <laughs> right? Judge it while it's a thought. Now, this is really important to me because I used to sit under a pastor. This is what he would preach. He'd say, if you thought it, you'd done it. You're all a bunch of murderers. You're all a bunch of sinners. You're all a bunch of fornicators. You're all a bunch of adulterers and, you know, whatever. And, I, you know, when you hear that, you're just like, oh. Is there truth to that if you thought it? Yeah, it's sin. They're sinful thoughts. But don't do it. You see the problem with that? If you equate thinking it to doing it, then you ain't going to have no problem doing it because you've already thought it. Right? The bottom line is this. When it comes to personal sanctification and holiness, practical holiness and sanctification, we shouldn't be consumed with with, uh, sinful thoughts. But I tell you what, when you have sinful thoughts, that's the time to judge it. Don't ever say, oh, well, I thought it, so I've, I've done it. I'm just as bad. That's absolutely not biblical. I mean, that day that I, I walked up to Alan Shelby and he said that, it just clicked. Boom. I'm like, that's right. That's the time to judge it. When you know in your conscience that's a sinful thought, you don't even have to have a, a book or a chapter. The Holy Ghost will scream it out. No! Okay. Forgive me, Lord. That's a sin. Help me renew my mind. Get my heart right. And the other ones that are here, I'm not gonna, I didn't want to work all this chart. You have it for your reference. Number four, we, we, have a clear, uh, we, we have the clear solution to sin. This is really what we need to focus on this morning. In verse 5, it says, And ye know that he was manifested, right? He was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So 1 John 5, 17 says all unrighteousness is sin, but 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our uh, sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So in Christ, we have our sin taken care of. Now that we understand positional holiness, it comes together in practical holiness when we keep short accounts of sin with God. So we don't let that get a long, long account. We keep short accounts with God. And we're like, Lord, forgive me for that thought. Or, God forbid, it works its way out to the action. Forgive me for that action. But capture that and take it to the cross. So point five, we see a bold declaration concerning sin in verse six. He says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. So positionally, we are sin-free. First uh, John 3, 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. His seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. But practically, we battle our flesh every day. Verses 8 through 10 of this of, uh, John, of 1 John 1 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And that is the issue, is what's in us, the truth of God's word or something else. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. So we are going to battle with sin, and it's a matter of is the truth in us, or are we allowing our mind to be captivated by other things that are leading us into sin? So is so. Is John contradicting himself here? Absolutely not. He is pointing out the contrast between our positional sanctification and our practical sanctification, or our personal holiness and our practical holiness. Paul addressed this very clearly in Romans chapter 7 when he said in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, and I'm fleshly, sold under sin. This is the great apostle Paul. 
For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, uh, that, uh, uh, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Why? Because the law is telling him he shouldn't do it. Verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Uh, for I know that in me, and then he's very specific, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. You can't trust your flesh. For, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Paul says, man, I'm struggling to, to live out the life that I want to live. Verse 19, for, for the good that I would, uh, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. I find myself doing things I don't even want to do. I mean, I'm trying not to speed, but I'm still speeding. Well, I'm getting convicted because I probably am not that convicted about that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just really being transparent this morning. So uh, I need to be more mindful. So now, now if I do that, I would not. It's, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, right, in my, in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, if it ended there, it'd be scary. But he goes on to say, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And he progresses right on into chapter 8. And there's nothing. By the time you get to the end of chapter 8, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. What an incredible promise that is. So the reality here is that we all struggle practically. Paul struggled practically with sanctification. We all do. But the battle is in the, in the mind, isn't it? It's in the heart. The child of God must not take practical sanctification lightly. That's the reality. It's an intense battle between the truth of God's word and the fallen state of our flesh. And God saved us and left us in this condition for a season so that we could work this thing out. Our basic discipleship lesson explains it very well when we talk about our dual nature, right? There's that inner man, our soul that's sealed until the day of redemption, the spirit of God, and he is, he's got a plan for us that we've talked about. And then there's that flesh. And they're like two hungry dogs, right? And how's it go, class? What happens? The one you feed, right, the most is going to dominate. And until you get out of here, I'll never forget when we was a young church, I'm, I'm with an, one of our older men in the church and we're moving some furniture and stuff, you know, and I'm in my 30s and I won't tell you how old he is. You might guess who he was. But anyway, we're going and we're moving and he says, he starts sharing some stuff with me and I'm like, I'm like, man. He's that old, and he's still struggling with this and that. I was hoping by the time I got there, that'd all be gone. (laughs) Guess not. No. As long as you're in this carcass, man, there's going to be struggles. doesn't matter if you're 20 years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old. There's always going to be issues of the heart and the mind and struggles with the flesh. And beloved, that's why I'm having this message is, you know what, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in your practical sanctification. I could make a list of rules a mile long. That's how we often deal with it. Do this and do this and do that. But at the end of the day, it's just about fellowship. It's about fellowship with God. Let me quickly, I'm out of time. So um, let me just quickly say this. If you, if, if, I'm going to stop there. So you just need to make sure this. 
that you're in fellowship with God. And that means daily worship in the Word, daily fellowship with, with people. I know a lot of saints that are getting isolated more and more. You know, what are we supposed to do more and more as we see the day approach? Gather, right. It doesn't help if you're isolated. You're to gather. You need God. You need His Word. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll come back around on this in a couple weeks when we pick this up. But we need daily worship. We need daily fellowship. We need daily prayer. We need daily meditation. I mean, we need to be spending time in this book right here. Right here. Because that's where it's at. Practical holiness is a daily battle. It's a daily battle. Now, I got more good news to give you, and I don't want to just stop that. So we'll pick it up later. But let me just pause here to talk about the Bible as we wrap it up. You see, our, our Bible conference is coming up this week. And, the, and it's not this weekend, but next week. So we'll be, getting, you'll be, we'll be getting the tent up this Thursday. We'll have David Brandon's ordering food. Uh, Randy's getting signatures in. Equipment's coming. Uh, people are coming. What are we doing all that for? Because of this book, guys. This book, not only is the Holy Spirit holy, but you know what? The book that we hold in our hands, it's set apart. It's sanctified. It is the Holy Bible. What makes us holy is having this mind in us, which is also in Christ Jesus, right? In addition to the Spirit of God that's in us. But we got this thing is what governs us. It, it helps us think. It renews. It washes our mind, right? So we are brainwashed by the truth of God's Word. Isn't that a terrible thing to be brainwashed by the truth? And so, so the reality is, guys, this coming week's a big deal. If I hope everybody here, and I hope some more people that aren't here, because we don't have enough. I don't think we have enough people to really man what we need to do this week, this, this week coming up. So I need all of you to be here, and then I need you to bring some people <laughs> uh, to help us put the Bibles together, because we're going to need all hands on deck. It's a big deal. And uh, we do it once a year. And some of you guys are, are maybe a little newer to the church. So we are committed uh, to assembling God's Word, not just on our, on our conference. And we were doing it this weekend with Harvest Baptist, put John and Romans together. And that's all about getting the Word to the world. And, and you know, when it boils right down to it, that's, what, that's why we are set apart. We, as a church, we are holy, right? We are set apart for God's use. We want to manifest His glory. And there's no greater way to manifest His glory than to, to exalt his word. It's exalted above his name. I mean, good night. This is the way to roll, is to get the word where it needs to go on time. But you know the reality is, all of our efforts to get the word out isn't going to be very helpful if we don't get the word in. And so we're all about making disciples. Why? Because it, we've got to, be, we've got to be in a situation where we love God's word. We want God's word in our hearts. We want God's word in our minds. We're meditating. We're memorizing. We're thinking on scripture. That's why we have discipleship one. That's why we have discipleship two. But that's not enough. HBI is not enough. That's knowledge. At some point, you got to take the knowledge that you're getting, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta love that thing. I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta get out of the head, and sink down into the heart, because that's where it's at. Thine word have I hid in my head, that I might not sin against thee. No, that's not what it says. Thine word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. I pray that we have a heart for God's word in every every sense of the word, right? Not just a not just a head for it, but a heart for God's word. So when you're putting Bibles together, why are you putting Bibles together? It's not to pat ourselves on the back. It's because somewhere God has people ready 
and their hearts are contrite and they're ready to receive the word of God. That seed is going to sink down into the soil and it's going to bring forth new life. So we prepare Bibles by faith. The Bible conference is a faith endeavor. We're trusting that God isn't just, God forbid we build Bibles and stick them in a warehouse or we build Bibles and get them in churches where nobody opens them. Or we build Bibles and they just sit behind a pew somewhere and we're happy because we filled up our pews with Bibles. That's not the idea. The idea is to get the Bible out of the, out of the quickened, right? Leaping off the pages into the hearts of people so that God can accomplish his mission and his purpose in other people's lives. And I'm telling you, it has everything to do with personal sanctification, right? It has everything to do with us setting our lives apart so that God can use us. This is a priestly work, right? A priest, you know what they did? They interceded on behalf of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. You know, we, we need to, re, if you haven't noticed, this nation's a mess. This world's a mess. And you know what? This world needs us to be set apart for God's use. They need us to be putting our hands on the word of God. They need us to be getting the Bible where it needs to go. They need us out sharing our faith. They need us walking it out, our conversation. They need to see an example of what it looks like to be Christ in this age. And that's what this sermon's all about. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. I pray, God, that we could live out what we are, and that is uh, new creatures in Christ. Lord, I pray, God, that our positional sanctification would make a difference in our personal sanctification and it'd be in a very practical way. Lord, help us to, to always, and Lord, I've been saved a long time, but Lord, I still, I have to always go back to these principles and precepts and remember them myself. And uh, I'm preaching to me, Lord, there is a lot of work that you need to do that only you can do. And Lord, you, you want to do that through us. And it seems monumental. It seems overwhelming at times. But yet, Lord, it is your spirit. Lord, you are the one that brings us to, to places and, and, uh, and, and bodies of water we can't cross without your divine and supernatural help. Lord, help us, Lord, in getting the word of God where it needs to go on time. Help us in our own personal uh, and, and uh, sanctification. And thank you, Lord, for that that reality that we are already as good as seated in heavenly places. Lord, help us to be ready for the day when you call and catch us away, which we hope is soon. Lord, I pray, God, that our hearts would be right with you, that we would be right with one another, and that we would love you and love one another and be an example of what it is to be a Christian. Lord, I thank you and I praise you and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just quickly ask, is there anybody here that would say, Brian, I am not saved. I need to be saved. Okay, I'm mainly, thank you, Ray. Is there anyone else? I saw that. All right, let's just, uh, I'm not going to tarry. Let's stand together in a word of prayer. And if you do need to make a decision this morning, um, maybe I I don't want to just truncate this. Maybe someone does need to say, Brian, I need to get baptized. I need to join the church. I need to do something. I need to walk the aisle. Um, We have Luke and Brenda here. They'll receive you. So please take advantage of that. Is there anyone that would say, Brian, I just need some prayer? Amen. Me too. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray for your saints, Lord. There's a lot of folks that have sickness. There's a lot of heartache. Lord, I know many have been bereaved by COVID and their families. People have lost lives. And Lord, we rejoice too that people like uh, Joe Schaefer are now released from the hospital and he's he's at home. And so, Father, that's a great blessing as well. And uh, Lord, I know there's some that have lost members to cancer recently as well. And and Lord, uh, there's uh, sickness and there's ailments. There's concerns on employment. Uh, Lord, lots of things in people's hearts today that are stirring, and Lord, and I just pray that the Spirit of God and the Word of God will bring great comfort as we know, Lord, that you have a plan for us, that you're uh, taking us somewhere, and that's to heaven with you, 
And uh, Lord, we look forward to that. And I pray in the meantime that we would behave ourselves wisely and that we would serve you with our our whole heart and our mind and our soul and our strength and that we would love you and one another. Lord, I pray, God, for every need in the body. I don't know all of them, but you do. And I pray, God, that you continue to increase your body, that we'd edify one another in love, and that you would be, uh, Lord, glorified in all of this. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we close today, the mission trip coming up, you've heard it many a time about Monmouth. So if God's working on your heart, now's the time to respond and reach out to Ray Blowers uh, to go. I think they they still are needing uh, some people to go. Also, how to disciple class. Uh, If you have been through discipleship one and you're ready to take the next best step with the Lord and and be used to disciple others. That class will kick off this Wednesday night. It'll be an eight-week session. And so I'll be teaching that uh, starting this Wednesday. There will also be um, a men's Bible and breakfast that will be next Saturday. So on the 18th, that's at 7.30 in the morning. So bring your Bible and, and bring your appetite. Uh, so that's coming up then. Uh, speaking of food, there is a uh, food sign-up for the Bible conference. So we will have um, uh, breakfast, lunch, and supper, but they just need to know a count. So if you go online and let them know, they just want to make sure that they have uh, enough food for everyone uh, for that. And speaking of the Bible conference, so that's September 19th through the 22nd. Sunday night at 6.30 will be um, the evening service, but from the morning service to the evening service, we're going to be charging ahead with with making the Bibles, and then even after the the service at night, and then throughout that week. So as Pastor Brian said, we we need you here, we need your hands, we need you to also enlist others, so bring some others. It, it is a special time, and for those who have never participated, it, it is a, an exciting thing. So um, ask, ask friends that you know who, who are believers, uh, reach out to them, and, and they will enjoy it. Uh, the evening service um, for each night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, is at 6 p.m. again. And so there's a handout in your bulletin that uh, goes over the the uh, speakers, so that will be a good time. But it's not just about the speakers, it's about getting the Word of God out and uh, sending it around the world. The last thing I want to mention, or last couple of things, is uh, there, there will be a Team Oaxaca uh, prayer meeting. So tomorrow night on Wednesday, I'm sorry, tomorrow is Monday. Tomorrow, tomorrow night on Wednesday at 6 p.m. at Mitch Newland's house. So... Um, did I say Wednesday again? Okay. I, I'm stuck on Wednesday. Sorry about that. Monday. I'm trying to get through my week faster and faster. So um, tomorrow night is Monday. There we go. Um, we got that. And then last thing, in a few weeks, so October 23rd, will be the Harvest Party. And this is an outreach for our church to reach out into the community. They actually come here. 
and it's an opportunity to connect with them and show them the love of Christ and give them an opportunity to come and engage with us, for us to witness to them, to reach out, uh, pray for them, and, and come uh, join us. So uh, share, share about that, but also um, the Coens are looking for people who would like to um, have a booth. So they have these booths, about 20 of them, that um, little kids or children can come and, and play. And so families can come, and it's an opportunity for us to engage. So if you're interested in in participating or helping with a booth. If you even don't have an idea, they'll give you an idea and, and give you a job to do so we can reach out. So um, as, as far as the, the message this morning, uh, it, it's, it's um, such a blessing to see how God connects messages together. So today, Randy was speaking about the glorification that we're going to have you know, in the new bodies. And this old body is, is breaking down, but we're going to be glorified. And then um, seeing how that connects with sanctification here. If you're not going to um, a Bible fellowship, you're missing out. I just want to tell you that God wants to give you more. And if you're missing that, you're just missing out. Because God connects those dots, um, connected in for me this morning about sanctification. I was having a conversation with one of my sons last night about the fact that, yeah, there's all this stuff going on in the world right now. But God is so much bigger than that. He is the Holy One of all time and of all eternity, so much bigger than all of this, and He wants to use each one of you in the process of eternity. And so you have the uh, opportunity to engage in sanctification and getting to know the Lord more so you become like Him more and can be used of Him more in, in the mission that is so far beyond all that we see. It's being involved in the eternal. That's what we're about here. And so I want to encourage you with that to engage and to give your life over to the Lord because it's not just about what you see in every minute of your day. It's so far beyond that. Let's pray and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, how you're working out your love in our life by your Holy Spirit in us. Teach us and show us and use us this week. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.